0: Hey pole dancer, welcome to the Evidence-Based Pole Podcast. My name is Rosie Boa, I'm a pole dancer, pole teacher, and personal trainer, and I've started this podcast so that we can learn together, talk with the experts, read the research, and feel better on and off the pole. So if that sounds like something you're interested in doing, let's go. Hello and welcome to this week's episode where I'm talking with Britta Pollen, who you may know from Instagram at It's Britta with a period between It's and Britta. Yeah, who is, as you can see if you're watching the video, a strength and flexibility coach. So Brenda, do you want to talk a little bit about, A, what is a strength and flexibility coach? I think that's a term that some folks may not be familiar with. And then also a little bit about your background, you know, your your relationship to Pole, because it's a, it's a poll podcast, and yeah, how you came to be doing what you're doing. Yeah.
1: Hi. So good to be here. My name is Britta Pollan. I am a strength and flexibility coach for performing artists. I'm based in Vancouver, Washington, USA. So my background is in dance and performing arts. I've been a dancer my whole life. I got into pole in 2012. I've done a lot of different types of performing arts, but I will always, 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 I think for the rest of my life, like identify as a pole dancer. Like when people ask me, oh, so what do you do? I my go-to is always I'm a pole dancer, even though I'm not performing right now just helping other folks perform that's always going to be how I relate to the world and relate to other people I think so that's my main background and yeah like I said performing arts my whole life I've been in dance since I could walk and now I work with other people who do that people who want to use the stage to express themselves That's who I work with and it's definitely like my favorite part of strength and flexibility work is working to get people on stage, prep for auditions, stuff like that. So my dance background brought me to, like I said, pole world in 2012 and our world is really like a Willy Wonka chocolate factory of strength and flexibility. Like I think people, a lot of people get into pole and they're doing it to just have like a way to move and they're like, I think this is like a good way for me to get some exercise and get some movement in. And once you start doing these things, you realize how, and I'm going to use big air quotes here, like inflexible and not strong you are, um, compared to all of the options, which is a good thing. Like it's a really good thing to just be aware of what is possible. Like it really opens that up for a lot of people but there's also this thing that happens where you know in the muggle world people are like whoa you're so flexible like you can do the splits and you have to be like actually i'm really not like compared to the people i hang out with so that's what i do is i train dancers of all out of studio in weightlifting and mobility and contortion techniques to help them like they have something to either One, train in the off-season and improve so that when they get back into hardcore like rehearsals or skill acquisition, what have you, they've made some fun gains that they can actually apply to their movement or help people have some weightlifting and flexibility training to support what type of show they're doing right now, whether it's competition or an act or a show that they're contracted with, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, something that you mentioned, like all together, is like a single unit, which I think may be a little bit of a surprise to some folks, is that you do weightlifting and contortion and mobility as like a single thing that comes together. And I think, you know, as, as pole dancers, we know you can be strong and flexible. Like, duh. <laughs> like, how else are you going to get into like a jade? But I think there's this sort of general idea that you can be either strong or flexible and you don't get both. And I mean, Certainly, in sort of the wider fitness community, I think there's also just, like, some gross bioessentialism, sexism that goes in with that as well, which is also a second thing that I don't think is particularly helpful for people, but do you want to talk a little bit about, like, the relationship between those things? Like, so being strong and flexible, technically possible, like, how does that work? How do they support each other? Question mark. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so
1: first of all, I love that you brought up just, like, the binary way of thinking about this Mm. because you know, the further we look into how our biology actually works, the more we realize that we're all just kind of like a soup of things. (laughs) So that is strength and flexibility essentially. And I'm going to give y'all listening two different ways to think about this. One is that we want to think about strength and flexibility for your sport as do you have the range of motion to do what you want to do? If yes, what types of inputs do you need in those ranges to move how you want to move? So if we were talking about another type of athlete, like say we are talking about like a powerlifting athlete and they couldn't get their hips back far enough to reach down and grab the barbell to lift it, that would be a problem. Then we would need to make sure that they have more range so that they can actually stretch their glutes and hamstrings to reach down and grab the barbell. And then from there, it's strength input, absolute strength, lifting the barbell up for a deadlift. So do we have the ranges to do what we want to do? And I give that example as a really extreme example, because I just want to highlight that you can have however much strength input in these ranges you want or need, which obviously powerlifting, they want to ramp that aspect of it up as much as possible. And they don't really need that much more range. They just need the range to pull their hips back and pick up the barbell versus us. We need more ranges. So we have a little bit less, we have a little bit more room to work in, in terms of how much range we're trying to fill up with these different types of strength inputs. So there's that. That's type method number one to think about this. Where are my ranges? Do I have what I need? Do I have the sorts of movements and training modalities in that range that I need to move how I wanna move? Way number two to think about this is strength and flexibility spectrum. So this method of thinking about this is more helpful for exercise selection than thinking about your training as a whole. So if we have stretching, like static holds on one end of the spectrum, and then we have like high intensity, like that power lifting I was talking about before, style lifts on one end of the spectrum. They're both using lengthened muscles. I was talking about the deadlifter earlier. That person is lengthening through aspects of their lower body and then really heavy load, like we have on this side of the strength and flexibility spectrum in those ranges. When we make our way down to the stretching aspect of the strength and flexibility spectrum, we're really lengthened, way more so than we would need to pick up a barbell for a deadlift. We're stretching our hamstrings to our full passive range, but. This is actually a very low intensity lift because if you're stretching correctly, you still have some form of load onto your lengthened muscles, right? Like very rarely, unless you're just kind of like hanging out and like waiting for your coffee at Starbucks and like, you know, putting your foot up on the table. Like we all do while oh, we wait for
0: our coffee. Please don't do that. <laughs> your feet do not go on tables. Or the chair, whatever.
1: I'm doing that and I'm very sorry to you. Oh. No. Um, That is like a casual stretch, but if you're holding a static hold in the way that's gonna help you the most, you're gonna be forcing a little bit of the load of your body onto that lengthened hamstring, and that's gonna make your stretch more effective because we need a little bit of load, especially hypermobile folks, if you're listening, you're gonna need a little bit of contractile force in those static stretches to get the full benefit. So and then everything in between there, like we have active flexibility style things, you know, like strengthening and trying to own the ranges, that style of stuff. We've got training contractile force throughout the whole lift. We've got production of acceleration. We've got acceleration tolerance, like all these different things that we want to do in the ranges that we're stretching for works us up the strength and flexibility spectrum all the way to really high-intensity lifts, with moderate lifts just below the high-intensity lifts. In summary, (laughs) think about this as how much range do I want to work in for my exercises? However much range you're working with is going to be inversely related to the load of that exercise, because obviously we don't want to be lifting 300 pounds on a fully lengthened hamstring. That's not helpful but we also don't want to be putting no load in it. This is just a way to think about, like, where am I pulling from? What do I need? And how these things are, quote-unquote, related is really just that they're all one and the same, like you were saying. It's a singular concept, but we're just adjusting our tissue length, tissue load, how much time we're spending in the position, and then whatever other, like, types of inputs that we want to put in it depending on what you want to do like i don't do like any dynamic stuff so i don't really do acceleration tolerance or stuff like that but some people do like i'm working with a ice dancer right now who needs to jump and you know she needs a ton of acceleration tolerance so just depends on what they're doing
0: yeah or even some styles of pole like i'm thinking like Kakoda, for example is a great example of someone who does a lot of like power stuff has a lot of acceleration I have never danced like that in my life. I'm not especially planning to, but if that's you, you're probably going to want to prepare for that type of movement in your off-pole training, which you're doing, right? Yeah, obviously, everyone's <laughs> listening and nodding along. We know. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, it's sort of a, a running joke, because I think... If it's been related to the topics that we've been talking about, pretty much every single guest has come on the podcast has been like, "You're cross training, right? You got to cross train." <laughs> so, with that in mind, let's talk a little bit about cross training and cross training to sort of round out our our movement lives, as opposed to like cross training that's specifically for building capacity for a specific skill and how you'd approach those different things, and you know, the degree to which they are different.
1: Yeah, for sure. So your approach to this is going to depend on, and I know this is no, this is a really new concept to the whole world, it's going to depend on how you're approaching your training in terms of seasons. So I usually guide people that like, if you've never taken an off season, the best in for you for making gains is just to do that because that's like, that's a no brainer. You know, you don't have to think about like, okay, where am I at with stuff? You know, when have I last cycled through an off season? Like if you've never done it, just do that. And then come back to skill acquisition or, you know, act creation or competition.
0: I just, the last podcast episode is on rest and how important it is and how every so often you take a longer rest break. That's your off season. Sorry. Continue.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's an important point because, you know, everything works in just smaller cycle, smaller versions of your overarching cycle. So if you're cycling through things throughout your year and having some seasonality to your training, you can approach your week in that way too and have different focuses for different days. So it's important to think about this zoomed out, but also, yeah, like zoomed in and like, what's happening right now? What do I need right now? What can I cycle through right now to bolster what I'm doing? So yeah, that's always such a good in just taking off season. If you've never done it before, and then, how we're deciding how we're approaching cross training based on what's happening in your skill work. I think a lot of people look at what I do and think, like, oh, she's gonna tell me these exercises to do, and it's gonna like magically supercharge my tricks, and I, I'm gonna like get what I want, you know, which is sometimes the case if like you're super close. You know what I mean? If you're super close to something, like you're almost. I was working with somebody who like almost had their deadlift and they were so close. This person was literally just missing like a little bit of just overall strength to push and really get that tuck of the pelvis at like the ending position. And I was like, Oh, this is going to be a piece of cake. Like you're, you're going to get it in two weeks for sure. Like once we stop working together, like, or once we start working together, I'm going to give you like some absolute strength. Lifts just to like show your body and show your nervous system that you can handle large amounts of loads really quickly. And they got it, yeah, I think the first week or so of training, which like I can't really take a whole lot of credit for that. It was, like anyone could have done anything for this person and they would have gotten it. We just needed something to show their nervous system, like they can produce large amounts of force over a quick period of time and like lift into that beautiful Aisha deadlift, whatever you call it in your land. So, yeah. We approach our cross training based on how you're doing with skill acquisition because sometimes you just need like a little boost. You just need like a little bolster for what you're doing with skill acquisition. And this person is an example of somebody who like our programming is very minimal. They have two lifts per week and then a couple like they have like one flexibility day because I also had some hip extension goals and that. Is more of like a preseason t- style training. Like we're getting, we're ramping things up for them to go into like major skill acquisition time versus like someone who has been going to classes or working with a coach in the studio for a while and like stuff is just starting to feel really heavy. Like it's starting to suck. Like we're starting to get that feeling where more than 50% of the time we're going to the studio, we don't want to. Mm -hmm. We haven't had any form of a win in like over a couple of months. And the skill acquisition alone is not getting us into ranges that we want to move in or getting us training inputs that we need in those ranges to move how we want to move because we just... We just can't get there. You know what I mean? Like, for example, another example of a client working on spatch and she doesn't even really have the straddle ability like past her shoulders and trying for spatch over and over and over again is not going to get your straddle better. So that's an example of a person that's like, okay, let's back off on the spatch attempts for a little bit because that's only going to make you sad. So let's do a little bit of an off season. Let's get your straddle looking really rad and get some active flexibility and acceleration production for what's going to be that bottom leg hooking around the pole so that you feel really confident in the straddles that it's less sucky when you go in and like work with your coach and you're not like wasting your money on private lessons for spatch and all that. So it really depends. Sorry for everyone. I just tapped the mic and hopefully that didn't hurt your ear. But hopefully this is helpful in shedding some light on like when do I cross-train and how much? Like, do I need to back off or do I need just like a little bit to bolster what I'm doing?
0: Definitely. And I, you know, I really like that you brought in the emotional component as well. Cause I think that I don't know, especially folks who've never worked with a personal trainer before or never worked with a coach one-on-one, like a big part of of coaching and training and frankly just being a teacher is helping people feel better like emotionally because that's really going to be necessary to help you grow artistically or athletically or however you're you're trying to do things which i think brings me nicely to uh one thing that you bring is you have a background in psychology so do you want to talk a little bit about how psychology intersects with what you do
1: yeah definitely so I thought I was going to be a therapist at one point in my life and I was still pole dancing and just thought I was going to have that be like my hobby and I was going to be a therapist for my career and I had like one more step to get certified and then I was just like you know what I think I'm going to move to LA and pursue pole dancing instead. Anyway so that's just like a little side tangent of my life story but The therapy aspect really comes in in terms of just being very used to like working with people who are not happy with where they're at, Uh, because I think that freaks a lot of coaches out. Sometimes like your program, when you're working with me, almost 100% of the time, like stuff's going to come up, like stuff's not going to go well. You're going to get frustrated at some point. And I think that freaks out a lot of coaches because they're like, Oh my God! Like what I'm doing isn't working. like they think I've like led them on this wild goose chase, like that kind of thing. but it's like no, like it's not the programming. it's just things do come up, and especially for movement artists, it's very personal not to knock on like any other like more mainstream sports, but i just I'm not a part of that world, but i I just get the sense that it's not so personal as like putting your art out there, like kicking around a soccer ball, like yes it's fun. It makes you feel alive, like that kind of stuff, but it's not your art. And so people are very, very emotionally attached to what's happening with their training. And I love that. It's it's what makes people take it really seriously. And it also though, double-edged sword is what makes people take it really seriously. (laughs) And Uh sometimes you just need somebody to tell those things to. And I love being that person because it's just all a part of a process. And at the end of the day we're artists you know and art is very messy and it's not always going to be this like linear thing you know we always know that like progress isn't linear but what doesn't get talked about a lot is our emotional reaction to that and like that sometimes you can like be in a slump and be like, yeah, progress isn't linear. I'm totally fine. But then other times like stuff, stuff goes weird. Cause like you have a bad day of sleep or like maybe, I don't know, just like something else in life comes up. And then you're like freaking out that like you've had a really bad day. And now like your chest stands look shitty <laughs> and like, instead of, it gets really hard to remember that progress isn't linear and be emotionally detached from it. And if you just need someone to be frustrated too, that can be me. So yeah, it's like, a, it's a really rewarding part of the process. And I actually enjoy the messiness that comes up with things happening imperfectly, because to me, that's why I work with the people I work with. And I don't work with soccer players when, because it's just not, you know, it doesn't have that like emotional component.
0: Yeah, I think it was Martha Graham who said there's no satisfaction what whatsoever at any time or something like that about dance. That like part of what makes us dancers is that we are. It could always be different and better, and that's part of the impetus for making us continue to explore.
1: Yeah, yeah, that is really pertinent to something I've been thinking about lately in general. Just thinking about my clients, and they're all really hardworking and. A lot of them have perfectionist personalities, myself included. So, you know, we attract what we are. But it's just so interesting that these personality types choose what we do because it's not meant to be perfected. Like we're a bunch of perfectionists working on something that is meant to just be art and art is never meant to be perfect. So it's just very funny. It's just like a very funny. What's the word I'm looking for? Paradox, maybe? Yeah.
0: Yeah, like a little bit of, of tension or, yeah, I think you're right. I think there is a perfect word and it's just not not coming out of the oatmeal right now.
1: I know, sorry. <laughs> We're, we didn't come here to write a book. It's okay. <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> no, thankfully. Yeah. Yeah, so you you work with dancers, you work with pole dancers, and I think you sort of already mentioned one thing that, you know, tends to set you know, folks in that space, apart from each other, apart from other folks, eh, Anyway, what I'm trying to get to here is like, is there anything in particular that you've noticed working with pole dancers that seems to be different from from other folks? I mean, I know a a couple things that for me have come up Is one that I think pole dancers are way more likely (laughs) to overtrain, particularly recreational pole dancers who are just so into it and so excited and having such a good time and don't want to stop and don't want to take breaks and don't want to slow down. And I get it, but it does seem to be kind of a problem in our in our movement space in general, and that's something I've noticed. I don't know if you notice the same thing with your clients or not. I mean, uh, it sounds like you will help people <laughs> bring back the intensity for a little bit so they can go harder later on. But is there anything else that you've noticed that's really like, yeah, that's a that's a pole dancer thing. That's those pole dancers. They do they do they do do that. Hmm, that's an interesting
1: question. I mean, I would say that movement arts in general. It's a very new concept to think about undulating intensities and like taking breaks from classes. And I I think that's pretty consistent across the board for most forms of movement arts. Pole dancers specifically, I would say that because the culture of pole is so tight knit and so potent is that pole dancers need a little bit more like, you know, I always offer myself when I start working with a new person as like a sounding board. and like, if you ever need to just like run something by me, use me for that. And like, tell me your thoughts on like training decisions that you're making like outside of our work together. And the pole community is so, like we love each other and we want to like do what we love together and so i would say that pole dancers have a harder time because of that not succumbing to like peer pressure of doing all the stuff when it's like oh my god elena shako is in town like teaching this russian workshop and like everyone's going like aren't you coming and you look at like the messaging on social media which of course it's for marketing So it wants you to feel enticed to come, but just the vibes about it and the way that people talk about it is very much like, oh, if you're not coming, like you're missing out and like you'll never get the chance to train this again, which might be true, but like how much do you really care? You know what I mean? Like, are you, do you care more about getting your eagle that we've been working on for two months or do you want to, Like, expend your energy doing this other workshop that now you're not going to have enough neural drive or physical drive to, like, do what we're doing. And, you know, sometimes you do just got to do it and, like, take it really lightly and just go, like, for funsies. But people don't do that because (laughs) whole instructors can be really intense. And, like, I think that most of the time when I'm in, for example, an aerial class, I feel like I can kind of... Manage my intensity of that class. Like I'll do it like once and be like, oh okay, like I I've, I've done this now and I don't I don't need to do it again, you know, because I'm just here for fun. Versus my experience in a lot of pole classes are a little bit more intense than that, and they and the instructors are there to push you, which is great if you're there for a high intensity session, but we're not always, and that's not always helpful. So I would say pole dancers differ from other movement artists in that way, and just that the community makes it a little challenging to manage staying focused on one thing
0: yeah definitely that that FOMO and then also like cyclicity that I've noticed and like really challenging tricks and I should say those of you who take in class with me know this I'm not a particularly intense coach (laughs) that's that's just not my vibe but I definitely you know train with people who are you know uh, way more intense than I am, <laughs> let me put it that way. Phoenix Caseri comes to mind as someone who is just such a beautiful mover and will give you like this huge range of things to work on in a class that like, I can't do most of them. But you know what, I enjoy being there. It- it's wonderful to watch her dance live. That's always a special treat and I'll try, dang it. But yeah, that's what I'm thinking about like, Because we started in the same time, actually, I started in 2012 as well, doing pole. I'm thinking about like the the same litter. Yeah, (laughs) like there was like a Fonji cycle where like every pole piece had Fonji in it. Everybody wanted to get Fonji. That was like the main thing. Or like there was like an Ayesha cycle where like that was the one thing like everybody had to have that trick. And I think part of it might be like some pole competitions do have required tricks. And I think that that might help drive that Mm cyclicity a little Mm bit. Um, But it doesn't if you were starting from zero, a cycle doesn't stay around long enough for you to get to there, particularly if you're coming in with, like, not a dance background, not a gymnastics background, as just, like, a regular person with a regular person's fitness level. And I think that, like, that degree of, like, FOMO and just, like, you know, shiny object syndrome. <laughs> like, ooh, I want to learn this thing. Oh, I want to learn this thing. Oh, I want to learn this thing. Can be really challenging, and also just like, honestly, really disheartening and and frustrating. Particularly for again, folks here. are. I think I tend to work with with people who are uh, a little bit less intense in their pole training than you are in general. <laughs> like, I'm not working eagle with nobody. I'm not working spatchcock with nobody. I'm not doing either of those things. If you're if you're interested, hit Brit up. <laughs> I think you will have a have much more success than you will with me. But yeah, it can be it can be challenging. Yeah, and
1: the shiny object syndrome is, again, just a, I think that's a symptom of our community and how it is kind of a blessing and a curse that, like, we're all so close and, like, we love doing stuff together and we love encouraging each other. But then there becomes this thing of, like, oh, my gosh, everyone is getting their eagle right now. I feel like we're kind Mm -hmm. of in an eagle era Mm -hmm. right now I don't know if you feel that way too but a lot of people have come to me like over the last like year or so with Mm -hmm. eagle goals and I just hadn't noticed its presence like as strongly as I have over the last year anyway it's such a blessing and a curse because we like want to cheer each other on but then it also just feels like everyone is getting their eagle I, if I'm not working on that, like I'm not a real pole dancer. Um, and it's like, okay, well, what other dope stuff can you do? Like, do you care, you know, like work on what you want to. And like Sergio Louise said this, I was training for a competition with her and she was just describing like her experience making competition pieces and how she puts spatch in every piece. And like, she wants, she wanted to not, because she was like, Oh my gosh, like people are just going to think this is the only trick I can do. And like, I got to like replace this with other stuff. And it's like, okay, well, why do you care? You know, like, are you, you're doing other strength stuff and like checking those boxes and getting the points. So like, unless on a very personal level to you, you feel like in your heart of hearts that you need to expand your capacities and like for this to stay meaningful to you, then add other stuff. Like don't do the spatch. But if you're looking to put together a really rad piece, that's going to please your audience and score well with the judges, put the spatch in. No one's going to be like, Oh my God, she did that. The last competition, everyone's going to be like, Oh my God, that's a beautiful spatch. Nine out of 10. Or it's Sergio, so it'd probably be a 10 out of 10. But anyway, yeah, people get really discouraged by seeing other people's stuff and they forget what they can do. And the shiny object syndrome, you know, it's like, you can you can do that if you want. Like, you don't have to listen to me. I This is advice for people who feel discouraged by the shiny object syndrome. And I know that a lot of people do, but if you're somebody who gets a ton of joy and meaning from just trying out like the new thing of the week and your practice still feels meaningful to you and you don't have these like frustrations that we're describing then keep doing that like don't let us get in your way
0: yeah yeah and i also on the on the performance side of things don't don't underestimate the the power of having signature tricks right like don't underestimate having like, oh, I've got this in the bag. I can do it every single time. It's a crowd pleaser. This is going to sound maybe a little bit weird to those of you who are super duper into pole. But if you're ever performing for like non-polar audiences, just a sit and then leaning back and letting go with one hand. People love that shit. <laughs> I put it in every piece of my, you know, like it's not a competition piece because like it looks pretty. They're like, oh, you're only holding on with one hand. So exciting. Yeah. Uh, or yeah. even think about like, you know. This is going to sound a little bit weird, but like professional wrestling, right? Like professional wrestlers have signature moves that they do every single match. And if you go and see, you know, a specific wrestler and they don't do your, their signature move, you're be like, I was expecting it. I wanted that repetition. I wanted the thing that I expect to see. So yeah, especially if you're freestyling. Don't, don't, don't feel bad about that. People love yeah. repetition.
1: That's such a good point. I have a friend who has a beautiful iron X, and... Whenever I watch a competition piece of hers, and she doesn't do it, I'm like, "What are you doing? It's so beautiful, but yeah, people get this false sense of this need to expand their capacities to make themselves perceived in a more like expansive way than they need, versus like what are you what are you doing this for like are you doing like are you still getting meaning out of the way that you're performing?" Or are you following this, like, but this is what people expect. Like, people expect me to be, like, working on other things to, like, be more quote-unquote well-rounded. And it's like, you can be well-rounded while not, like, being so hard on yourself and training flexibility tricks because you suck at flexibility. Like, don't do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Put your strengths and, I don't know, be nicer to yourself <laughs> in general. That's my advice to, to everyone. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so one thing that I know you're really big on, folks who follow you on Instagram already know this, and that I also incorporate a lot into my classes as well, is anatomy. And one of my big pet peeves is... If I'm, you know, taking class with somebody and we're doing something like a little bit unexpected, I'm like, oh, why are we doing this? Right. Particularly like if it's conditioning or warm up for a specific move, I'll be like, oh, why are we doing this? And like if they don't know (laughs) or they refuse to tell me, an adult, (laughs) why they have made a pedagogy decision, their student, it just I find it frustrating. And I think that, you know, certainly teachers to a greater degree than students I would like to have some degree of anatomy knowledge. I think that it is important, but for students specifically, what degree of anatomical knowledge and understanding do you think that is most helpful for for folks, especially folks who, like I know you work with like people who are are more advanced and really working on, you know, very challenging tricks. What sort of things are you like, yeah, I think, I think most pole dancers should know this. And certainly if they're working on really hard stuff, they should definitely know this.
1: Yeah, I love this question because I actually made an Instagram post about this like a couple of months ago and people seem to really have a light bulb moment with it Mm -hmm. and I think that we get way too attached to like what name of what thing is happening and you know like this is my proximal hamstring and you know that kind of stuff like that doesn't matter like how much is that really helping you like yes, language is a good way for us to communicate with each other like coach and student in a little bit more efficient way but one of the things that I always recommend that people get a grasp on like if anything is origin insertion points mm. of tissues because that's where people get kind of like tripped up sometimes with like prescribing mobility or like stretching stuff for their students is that just having the knowledge of like where does your gastrocnemius actually attach? Like behind your knee. And so, if somebody needs to stretch that, like if somebody's working on like getting less of a micro bend, and you're telling them to stretch more like hamstring targeted things, that's not really helping. But if you have an idea of like, well, hamstrings do attach under the knee as well, so that can be helpful. But like your calf muscle, one of your calf muscles goes across the knee and attaches or or originates on top of your knee pit and just simply knowing that and being like also these calf stretches will help you is super super helpful and just not feeling like you're throwing stuff to the wall and seeing what sticks especially if you're somebody who doesn't want to like study anatomy and know all the names for stuff and just having an idea of like do I have a muscle that crosses my elbow like where does that attach for the reasons I was just saying but also So that if you have an issue, like it's not like we're the freaking NFL, like we don't have physical therapists and strength coaches, like following everybody around all the time and like on call, I do make myself available on call for intensive students, which we'll talk about later. But for the most part, we don't have people like that on call for like when stuff happens and just having a basic knowledge of like, okay, where do I think this is coming from? And being able to like talk to it if like you think you're injured or you're having some sort of pain flare up or something like felt weird in class today, just having the knowledge of like exactly where these tissues attach in your body is super helpful in deciding how you're gonna talk to it.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really a really good point. And yeah, I don't I don't think you know everyone needs to have you know complete musculoskeletal like encyclopedic knowledge like I don't have that but I think that's a, a really good really good point a really good thing to think about also I've had recently a lot of discussions with people where calf tightness ended up being an underlying cause of something that was causing them bad times so maybe if you're not doing calf mobility just check it in there a little bit
1: yeah yeah i know we forget about them because they're not as impressive as Mm -hmm. our shoulders (laughs) or whatever
0: we are coming up on time and i'm going to make sure that we get a chance to talk about a little bit how people could work with you so you know i know you you teach online you're based in washington but you know folks can work with you from all over so what are some ways that people can work with you that are available right now and where can people follow you and find out more Yeah. So if you're curious
1: about implementing some strength and flexibility work in your training schedule, I have a couple of programs that are available on demand, like on my site and download them. And these, if the off season stuff was really scary to you, these programs are not for that. This is more, both of the programs that are up there are for people who want to keep working on skills, but just need like a little bit of help. I want to start learning how to implement this stuff. And those programs are both very, what I would consider like general recommendations to whole dancers and aerialists and dancers. There's one for like, if you're more floor oriented and one for if you're more like in the air oriented. So depending on where you spend most of your time, which program you'll do, but those are like very general recommendations. They're not customized. But if you've never done any of this stuff before, You honestly probably don't need something super customized anyway, so you can just grab and go on that. I also have some on-demand classes on my website. You can subscribe to the membership, and these are 10 to 20-minute classes focused on mobility, flexibility. There's a couple of lifts in there, but all of my custom videos, too, for my intensive students are uploaded in there. So if you're curious, like what that might look like with me, you can click around in there and check it out. Our next intensive, this is my one-on-one training custom program offer. The next time we're starting that is in the winter. So this is a good option for you if you want to take an off season, but you are kind of scared to do it with a personal trainer that doesn't know anything about your sport. So you can do that with me in the winter, and we'll be starting registration for that, I believe, in October, so that we can get started over the winter. So that is for if you want programming and one-on-one attention from me. And I think that's all the stuff I have right now.
0: Yeah. Okay, so check it out. And I think you, you know, follow me on Instagram. I'm pretty sure you also have a newsletter, Mark, that folks can subscribe Mm -hmm. to. So
1: Yeah, I have a newsletter. So the link in my bio on Instagram, which she was correct, it is it's dot B-R-I-T-T-A. So the link in my bio, you can subscribe to the newsletter. And I just get a little bit more down to the nitty gritty with the strength flexibility cross training stuff than I do on my Instagram, just because there's more space to write in an email than there is on an Instagram post. And I also, as of literally yesterday, have a podcast of my own as well now, too. So that is, for right now, it's just like a working title situation, Athletic Arts with Britta Pollen. It's on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.
0: All right. Keep keep an eye out for that. Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I think this was a great conversation. I hope everybody listening learned some stuff. Maybe thought about things in a new way possibly and i will see y'all later bye thanks so much for joining today pole dancer this podcast is a production of slink through strength the inclusive evidence-based online pole studio so if you're looking for a place to train either off pole conditioning and flexibility or learning pole tricks and refining your pole movement uh, you can find us online at slinkthroughstrength.com